As we often say, and I will say again, if you are a little one, uh, second grade or below, uh, we would invite you to head that back to Children's Church. It looks like we have a good group lined up there already, ready to head out. If you are in third grade or above, we would invite you to stick around, and we're going to be reading from the Scriptures here. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 26, and uh, you'll have in the bulletin almost the entire chapter, but I'm not going to make you stand for the reading of all of that. I'm going to read verses 12 through 20. I think 12 through 20 will give us the heart of the message and give us an opportunity to discuss not only this part, but the whole chapter. And uh, we're going to be reading Acts 26, verses 12 through 20. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this. It says, while so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. This is Paul talking, by the way. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to see and or to, to the light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance." Please be seated. Have you ever heard the statement, I have been waiting for the right time? Maybe you have uttered those words yourself at some point in, in some sort of conversation. And, and if we take a moment and start to think about what does that really mean? That I was waiting for the right time. You've pro I mean, we've probably all said it at one point and probably all of us have some idea in our mind about what the right time might mean in any given situation. Almost always when we're waiting for the right time, it's because we have some news that needs to be said. Some, some news that needs to be declared, something needs to be said, and we are waiting for the right time to tell somebody something or ask them for something. Sometimes it's because it's good. We're asking them or we're telling something good. When you are asking someone to marry you, you're going to wait for the right time and you're going to plan and prepare and choose the right time to ask them to, to marry you. Maybe you're because you're not sure they're going to say yes. And so you want to make sure that they're in a really good mood so that they don't hesitate. I'm not saying that that happened to me. I'm just saying in theory that that's the idea. Sometimes we wait for the, the right time with that good news because we want that person to be able to, to celebrate fully or, or really get excited and loud and jump up and down. 
You're probably not going to tell someone really good news if you're sitting in a library with them and they need to be quiet because you want to see them be overjoyed. I I remember my wife, um, when we were having our first child, who's Laney in the back, what she did with with her dad was he was in the middle of an auction, which you would think would not be the right time because he's an auctioneer. And so as he's kind of talking and doing stuff, she just walked up and slid an ultrasound in front on his clipboard in front of him. And you saw this, you know, big, tough auctioneer, organized guy suddenly go, someone needs to take over. Someone needs to take over right now. And he like he was just done like that, like he just had to stop. And so he could go and talk to to me and Liz. And and for my wife, that was the right time because she wanted to get her dad off of his routine. Now, sometimes when we say we're waiting for the right time, it's for bad news. And we say we're waiting for the right time because we're hoping to maybe soften the blow. Like, I want to wait to the right time to tell this person, you know, this bad news, whatever that bad news might be. I don't even want to get dive into bad news stories. Because we want them to be at a place where they maybe can be comforted. Or that it might not seem as bad because there are good things going on around them. Sometimes when we say we were waiting for the right time in a bad situation, it's because like maybe you're going to tell your parents that you broke something. Not that that's ever happened, right? (laughs) Okay, maybe it has. And so you're going to wait for a time that you think they're less likely to get really upset and that it'll fall back on you. And so a lot of times we say, I'm just waiting for the right time. But we do know that almost always when we think about this idea of the right time, it comes with waiting. And unfortunately, a lot of times if we say this in the past tense, I I was waiting for the right time, it usually means that that time has passed and now it is too late. We think about there have been times in our lives where where we wanted to share news with people, whether good or bad, and we were waiting for the right time, but that right time seemed to never come. And then the news came out and it was made, you know, made public and whether it was good news or bad news. And they look at us and they go, why didn't you tell me? And we say, I was waiting for the right time. In our passage today, we find Paul. And if you'll notice in Acts 26, we're getting towards the end of Paul's ministry, at least in the book of Acts. There's going to be a lot more, which we'll read about in the in his letters. And he has been he's been arrested and he has been imprisoned, though he may not be kind of like in in a dungeon somewhere. And he is being tried. And so the Jews initially arrested him and and they ended up taking him to the governor named Festus. But Festus didn't know what to make of the whole deal. He was a Roman. This was all beyond him. And so they brought in King Agrippa, whose real name was Herod Agrippa. And they said, and, and basically Festus said, Agrippa, you get this. You get the Jewish customs. You get all of this talk about messiahs and covenants and all that stuff. I don't get this stuff. I'm just a Roman. You get this stuff. I want you to hear this guy named Paul and figure out what I'm supposed to do with him. And so as we enter into our passage here at the beginning of Acts 26, we find Paul in front of King Agrippa. And he is allowed to speak on his behalf. And he does so by giving the court his testimony. 
And it is within his testimony that we begin to find the answer for us today, which is when is the right time to tell others about Jesus? You know, we look for the right time to ask someone to marry us. We look for the right time to give people bad news. We look for the right time to um, tell people all sorts of things. But one of the things I think we do a lot is we constantly wait for the right time to share our faith and tell people about Jesus. And Paul's going to answer that for us today. And we're going to look at his testimony and begin to kind of break down his testimony and what we see from it. And Paul begins all of this by telling the king about his life before Christ. Paul reminds the king that it was not that long ago that he was exactly like the people that were accusing him of of breaking the law and deserving death at this moment. He was a Pharisee. He tells King Agrippa that not only was I a Pharisee, but I was a Pharisee from one of the most strict parts of the Pharisee groups, which means the the people that he was learning under, the people that were teaching him how to be a a Jewish person and how to, to live and how to kind of help run and govern the other people were some of the most strict, most regimented people in all of Jerusalem. In light of this, when this Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene, Paul was likely around, but just a young person. Maybe he hadn't made his way to Jerusalem from Tarsus at this point. But by the time Paul, who at this point is called Saul, is is living in Jerusalem, this movement called the Way has been gaining traction, and he hates it. He becomes an outspoken opponent of this Jesus of Nazareth and those who would claim that he was a Messiah. He despised these people and looked at them as those who were trying to cause division and unrest within the nation of Israel. If we take a look back at verses 10 and 11 before our time together, it says, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having restored, um, received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, being furiously enraged by them. I kept pursuing them even in foreign cities. This is a man that despised what we call today Christianity. And he is reminding this King Agrippa that this is who he was. He is saying something that really for all of the Jews that had been accusing him and probably many in the room at this time, they knew that. They knew who he was. They knew who this Saul of Tarsus, who now would be called Paul, what he was like and what he had been before. See, Paul had a past And it was a past that seemed to conflict with his current testimony. Now, I think that's something we can relate to today. I think there are many of us in this room that have a past. And we think that that past might conflict with us being able to tell people about Jesus because those people know who we used to be. And I want to help I want to help you out here. If you're young or old or all that stuff, age don't matter at all you could be in fifth grade in here and you think well you know i haven't been the perfect kid and i'm not the smartest kid in school and i've gotten in trouble and i've had to clip down from time to time when i was in class and 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 i and and i know that if i start telling my friends i'm a christian they're going to be like you well guess what if you're you know eight 
There's probably some people knocking on 80 here who feel the same way. And they've made mistakes and they've had seasons when they're not in church and, and they haven't been living for the Lord and they got caught up in doing things that, that, that at the very least wasn't pursuing God. May not have been bad, may have just been a career. And they got pursuing those things and they've come to a point where now we're talking about sharing your faith with people and you're like, man, I've known these people for 20 years. And I've never once talked about my faith. And if I, and, and if I start to tell them about Jesus, invite them to church, they're going to be like, you? So age doesn't matter. And odds are we probably all have this a lot more in common than we think we do. And so we don't share. But instead we like we wait for the right time. Well, I'll start being a little bit more Christian around my friends so that then maybe when the time is right, I'll be able to share my faith. I'll start saying things like amen when I agree with them. And I'll pray for you. I might even tell him at some point like, oh, this Sunday after church, I did this. And we'll start to work that into the conversation. And, and then maybe in a little bit, little bit down the road, it'll be the right time to talk to them about Jesus. We think to ourselves that we need to grow a little bit more. We need to prove ourselves first. We need to do something because we don't want to get called a hypocrite. And so we wait for the right time to prove that we've changed or hope that people forget who we used to be. But see, Paul had this to say about his past. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. Excuse me. Paul's trustworthy statement reminds us that our past is proof of what Christ came to do. And that we are called to remember our life before Christ because it only adds to our witness. See, we might be tempted to wait for the right time, but guys, when God does a work in your life and He turns things around and flips them upside down and He makes you a new person, you can go into the people that you know and that you have a relationship and you can say, let me tell you about Jesus and the good news I have heard. And even if they're like, but you used to be a wild person and you used to do all this other stuff, you can say, I know, but then I met Jesus. Because that's what Paul said. Paul, undoubtedly, when he began to go and to tell people about Jesus, they, and he used to reason in the synagogue, which we're going to get to, they probably said, aren't you Saul from Tarsus who used to be a Pharisee? And weren't, didn't you persecute them? And didn't you arrest them? And didn't you try to have these pe people killed? What on earth are you doing and saying? And he go, yes, that is who I was. But then I met Jesus. Our past is not going away. And you can wait and you can move and you can do all sorts of things to make it the right time to share, people about, share with people about Jesus. But your past can be more fuel to share, people, to share with people the good news of the gospel than it can be a stumbling block.
Not only do we see from Paul that as he relates his, his past to the people and reminds uh, King Agrippa of all that he used to be to show him the transformation, but then he tells him about his encounter with Jesus. This is where our passage began this morning where he says, this is what happened while on the road to Damascus. See, Paul was confronted by the resurrected Jesus. I want you to take special note of the question that Jesus asked Paul in this encounter. He says, why are you persecuting me? This is verse 14. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, goad is not a word I use that often. Unless I am goading someone to do something. And that's really where the word comes from. And a goad was literally an instrument that was used by, by shepherds and, and used against livestock to get them to move. And if you've ever shown animals or if you've ever owned livestock, you might have a little concept of that where you would have, that they would literally have just a stick and on one side would be a blunt end and on the other side would be kind of a pointy end. And if they wanted to get, say, a, a, some cattle or something like that to move, they would poke at it and get it to go forward. Generally speaking, that makes them say, hey, I don't want my behind to be there. I want to put my behind over here. But to kick against the goads means that when that person would go up and poke the animal and say, hey, get moving, instead of moving, it would rear back and start to kick and, and, and try to fight against the goad, which often led to more pain. Because of the fact that they were going backwards instead of forward, the goad would then maybe hit them a little bit harder than need be. They would continue to get goaded, if you will, in order to get them to move along. It was meant, what was meant here is that to kick against the goads means to resist the urging or the movement of someone else. Now, there's something interesting about this that I want you to kind of remember. Paul is speaking in kind of a court setting a Roman court setting. And while he is speaking specifically to King Agrippa, who would have kind of been identified as the Jewish king and was very familiar with Jewish customs, most of the people in the room were probably Gentiles. They were Roman uh, uh, important people and, and wealthy people who were living in the area and got to kind of sit in and have keep court with Festus and all of that type of stuff. And so for them to kick against the goads had a meaning as well. Even Agrippa himself was highly, thoroughly Hellenized, which means even though he was Jewish and he kind of understood Jewish customs and Jewish laws, he lived very much so like a Roman. For them, the statement meant to fight against one's own destiny or against who they were created to be. When Christ confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, he changed his life forever because God had a purpose and a plan for Paul that Paul did not even know about yet. And he was moving him that direction. He changed his life from forever. He went from persecutor to apostle, from hater of Christ to lover of Christ, from running from God to running for God, from dead in his sins to alive in Christ. A dramatic change happened in Paul. And it was the very reason why he stood trial this day. When, I, when Christ comes into our life, our life and our life trajectory changes forever just like Paul. And that's true of everyone in the room. 
Sometimes we think our salvation experience may not be dramatic enough. And so we don't want to tell people about our faith because we kind of buy into this idea that we were raised in a Christian home and we really didn't make a choice. And there was no great turnaround or some dramatic thing because we didn't we, we didn't used to be a drug dealer or whatever kind of story you think makes it more weighty. But the reality is that when you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, that your life was changed dramatically. Because you were, and I don't care if you were six or you were 66, when you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you went from dead in your sins to alive in Christ. When you heard the gospel and when you believed the gospel, you were born again. And you were made alive in Christ. Listen to what Jesus himself said about this. In John chapter 5, verse 24, we read these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears the word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. I don't care how good you think your story is. When you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, something miraculous happened. And because of that, your life has changed and your eternity has changed and you have a story to tell. That is what happened to Paul. That is what happened to you. And that is something that the world needs to hear. Don't wait for the right time when your story can be that much more dramatic. People don't need to hear your story in a week or in a few months or in a few years when you've got a better story to tell. But our, our final thing, and really the answer to our question, is found in verses 19 and 20. Paul says this, he says, So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also in Jerusalem and then throughout all of the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate with repentance. Paul realized, and we need to realize today, that the right time to tell people about Jesus is right now. And it was right now when you got saved. And it was right now a week after you got saved. And it was right now when you got baptized. And it was right now when you made mistakes. And it was right then, right now when you started to, to come back to Christ. And it is right now, right now. See, now is the time. Look again at what we see. This is about Paul's conversion as we read it in Acts chapter 9. It says this. Now, for several days he was with the disciples that were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Think about this for a moment. You are Saul of Tarsus. You are going to going to Damascus with the intent and purpose of finding Christians and arresting them and bringing them back to Jerusalem in chains to be held, to have trial held against you. 
And then the next thing you know, that same Saul, the word got out because even Ananias, who was the one who came and restored sight to, the, the, to Paul when he'd been blinded, and you can read all about it in Acts chapter 9, you'll love it. Even he said, but Lord, when God talked to him, I've heard of this man and he came here to, to arrest us. They knew who he was in Damascus. And the next time he shows up at the synagogue and they're probably thinking, oh, man, these people that have been talking about this Jesus guy being the Messiah and raising from the grave, they're going to get it. Suddenly went, oh, because instead of condemning them, he affirmed that Jesus was the son of God. He didn't wait. He didn't say the time will be in a few months when people kind of figure out it, I'm a Christian, that the time will be when I get all the affirmation from the apostles and I, I, I get made official. It's not about when I get ordained or, or licensed or, or commissioned or anything about that. He started telling people about Jesus immediately. Listen, we all have reasons that we wait to share Christ We all have reasons that we wait to tell people that we're a Christian and, and that we want to, and reasons why we wait to invite them to things like church or even our revival. We are constantly looking for the right time to do these things, but guys, the right time has not changed since Pentecost. And the right time is right now. Not when we know more, not when we have a better witness. Not when the stars align and, and not when people practically beg us to tell them about Jesus. The right time to tell others about Jesus is right now. Paul communicated this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he wrote, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God is calling people to receive Christ now. And you very well may be in this room today. And I am telling you, the time to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior is right now. Brothers and sisters, we are just one week away from revival. Which means it is time to stop waiting. It is time to stop waiting to tell people about what's going on. It's time to stop waiting to let people know that you are a follower of Jesus. It's time for us to stop waiting about deciding whether we want to be a, a row host or, or invite people or anything like that. We need to stop waiting to let the world know that God has done a mighty work in our life and that God, God is doing a mighty work in this church. Like Paul, we have all been commissioned to be a witness of what God has done through Christ for the world. Acts 1.8 tells us this. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. If God, were, if Christ were in this room today, he would say you have received the Holy Spirit if indeed you're in Christ and you have been called to be my witness in Tunnel Hill and in Elizabethtown and in Radcliffe and in Hardin County and in, in Bullock County and Nelson County and all of Kentucky, and to the four corners of the world. 
And like Paul, let us prove to be obedient to our commission. And may we go out from here and declare in Tunnel Hill and in E-Town and Hardin County and every place that God sends us that Jesus is the Son of God and we have salvation through Him alone. We bring up our three circles on the board every week and you guys did a really great job last week of, of going through that and we're going to go through it again for those of you that may need to hear it today or those of you that just need a, a reminder of it. And when we talk about the three circles, the three circles begins with that idea that God has a design. And ironically, that's really something Paul communicates even as he is sharing the gospel with Agrippa because he, when he says, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goads. He is telling Paul, I have a plan for you. And that I'm going to make you a witness to, to Jews and Gentiles alike that there is a plan and a design for your life, everyone in this room. That God made you on purpose and with a purpose. And if we could just live out that purpose, we'd be golden. But we don't. But instead, we go our own way, and that's called sin. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means everyone in this room has at some point in their life chosen their own way over the way of God. And when we do that, we find us in a place of brokenness. And we feel that brokenness. Brokenness is that thing inside of us that tells us that we aren't living up to our potential. It is that thing inside of us that says that we know there are things and parts of our life that don't line up with who God is and who God's created us to be. And we feel that. And if we stay in that place, we thought we'll be stuck there for all time. And the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. And if we remain in a broken state, then we have only death to look forward to. But praise be to God, that line that says, for the wages of sin is death, has a but. And that but is found in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, God loved you so much that he sent his son and that Jesus lived a perfect life, not to show that we could do it, but to take our place. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin and our shame upon him on the cross so that he could give us his righteousness. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again three days later according to the scripture. And it is because Jesus is resurrected that we can have new life in him. The Bible says that if we, are, if we believe and if we repent, that we can be delivered from our brokenness through the power of the gospel. And the way the scriptures say that is if, that, um, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And so when we look at this, we have to first believe the gospel. That there is a God, that he does love you, that he did send his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the grave three days later. We have to believe that, and then we have to turn from our sin and turn towards Jesus. That's what repenting means. When we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we are saying, I make a decision. And I am making a decision to follow Jesus, even if I know I'm going to do that imperfectly. Even if I know I'm going to mess up, even if I know I'm going to have doubts, even if I know I'm going to still sin from time to time, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus and I'm going to follow him. 
And the Bible says that if we repent and believe, then we'll be able to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. Let me tell you one thing I know about what God has designed for your life. I know for a fact, I know it, that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, that there's one thing I know for certain, and that is that he did not intend the gospel to end with you. And that every single person in this room, that one of the purposes and one of the designs for your life is to tell other people about Jesus. And you know what? We don't have to wait until we have our act together. We don't have to wait until we can do this and it looks exactly like I just said it now. We don't have to wait until all the stars align and we have the perfect opportunity. We just have to do it. And start to tell people that I follow Jesus because I believe that he is the son of God and that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the grave for three days later and I would love it if you would believe that with me. We don't have to wait for that. Because what God is telling us through Paul's testimony is that the time is now. And so let's make that time now. For some of you, that may mean making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior now. Receiving this, believing it right now so that you can begin to recover and pursue God's design for your life. For a lot of us, that means we need to start actually telling people about Jesus, inviting them to revival. You know, allow that to be an opportunity to say, listen, my church is doing something really great and I'm really excited about it. And and, and I just kind of want to share that with you. And I would love it if you came with me to revival services and then let them come. I know for a fact that Sean Caudell is going to preach the gospel because if he doesn't, I'm going to sick his mother on him. (laughs) And it's going to be ugly. But I know for a fact that he's going to share the gospel. And then when all that's said and done, you can turn to your friend and say, hey, what do you think about that? Let's talk about that some more. And we're going to see lost people get saved. But only if we stop waiting for the perfect time, start waiting for the right time. And we decide that the right time is right now. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for Paul and his testimony and his witness. Lord, I have to stand in awe of just your wisdom and your grace that you can show us someone like Jonah in Sunday school, someone who shows us what it means to be hard-hearted, to not want to, to make the gospel known, to not want to call people to repentance. And Lord, then you give us someone like Paul who poured out himself in every way so that the gospel might be known. Lord, I feel like today we are, are being asked, who are we going to line up with? Who are we going to resemble? Lord, are we going to be Jonah and are we going to run as far away from who you've called us to, to share with? Or are we going to be Paul and, and, and pour out ourselves to see people come to know Christ? Lord, as we are, are here today, we are but one week away from our revival services. And Lord, we lift them up to you, God, because we want you to do a mighty work through these services. God, we know that nothing happens apart from you. But God, I pray that as we leave here today, that each and every one of us puts on the heart of Paul. And Lord, that we will choose to pour out ourselves so the gospel might be known. That we don't wait for the perfect time, that we don't make excuses and and run off to Tarshish. But God, that we would be obedient to you and to the calling you've put on all of our lives. 
Lord, for some of us, I truly believe that, that we may have been here and we've been running for, from you for quite some time. And, and even now it is time to go to you in confession and repentance to make Jesus the Lord of our lives and to begin to recover and pursue your design. Lord, if that is anyone in this room, Lord, I pray that they don't wait for revival. But God, that today they make you their Lord and Savior. Lord, for the rest of us, I hope we prove faithful. And in doing so, your name might be glorified. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.